Today we are going to look at uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And the reason we're looking at this passage is one of the things I shared with you last week uh, is that uh, Tom Rainier, a uh, socio-cultural uh, studier of church in America, uh, said, hey, there's six things about churches that uh, are in common if they are experiencing going from decline to reversal turnaround of growth. And one of those six things he mentioned is those cultures become very invitational. And so today we're going to look at a passage that focuses on a very invitational person in the early church, and that is Andrew. Uh, and so here now, the reading of God's word as it comes from John 1, verses 35 through 42. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas which means Peter, or if we were to translate it in a more contemporary nature, Rocky. <laughs> we're going to call you Rocky. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that you are leading this time and you are helping us to better understand these verses in a way that positively impacts our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. According to John the Disciple, the author of this gospel, Andrew and Simon Peter do not meet Jesus for the first time along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Rather, John shares that the very first encounter with Jesus is in a village called Bethany. We pick up that they're in Bethany from the, chap uh, the uh, verses before we read. And that is a little village that's not too far from Jerusalem. And so likely, Andrew and Simon Peter were staying in Bethany and commuting into Jerusalem for some sort of religious festivals that were going on during the time. Well, John the Baptist happens to be staying in Bethany because it's not too far away from the east side of Jordan River where he was conducting baptisms. And it seems that during 
the time that Andrew was in Bethany, he became very acquainted with who John the Baptist was, so much so that he actually became known as a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, on this particular day recorded by the Apostle John in our Gospel, Andrew is about to transition from following John the Baptist to following Jesus. And here's why he makes that transition. He is standing beside John the Baptist while Jesus walks by them, and John the Baptist points out that here is the Lamb of God. And hearing John the Baptist say this, Andrew, along with the other unnamed disciple, followed Jesus. Now, I actually believe that this unnamed disciple is John the Apostle, the author of this gospel, who also is a fishing partner with Andrew and Simon, along with his brother, James. Now, why do I believe the unnamed disciple is John? A couple of reasons. First, it's consistent with John not naming himself in his own gospel. Secondly, it's stated a little later in our passage that Andrew and the other disciple received Jesus's invitation to come see where he is staying at approximately four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, when, <laughs> when John is writing this gospel, he's in his 70s or 80s, somewhere in that time period of his life. Andrew's already passed long before that, martyred for his own faith. So John's writing this from his own memory. I can't imagine that Andrew, at some point 30 years earlier, <laughs> saying, oh, by the way, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus invited us to see where he was staying, stuck with John so that he put it in. I think it's stuck with John because it's him. And when all of us have that moment, that quintessential moment of encountering Jesus in a way that changes our lives, we remember where we were. We remember what time it was. We remember certain things like the smell in the air or the sounds around us. And so I very much believe that John is this other unnamed disciple. Returning to the reason for the transition from following John the Baptist to following Jesus, for Andrew, I assume, uh, it's the need for a savior. John the Baptist in verse 29 of chapter 1 had earlier explained that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is making it clear again on this second day that Jesus is the promised Lamb of God. And here's what Isaiah 53, 6-7 says about the promised Lamb of God. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, 
as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Andrew and John, the apostle, were looking for this lamb who could take away the guilt of their sins. They were looking for the long-promised eternal sacrifice for their sins and the sins of humanity. Jesus would, according to John the Baptist, fulfill all that the ancient sacrificial system started by Moses had foreshadowed what the Messiah would ultimately accomplish for us eternally. Now, Andrew and John, like many of us, had a time in their life when they became serious about finding a savior for their souls. That savior that shows us the compassion of God and that offers us the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation with God that will last for the rest of eternity. Here is a summary of the primary things we learned from our text this morning. First, we all need to hear Christocentric preaching as Andrew and John heard from John the Baptist. John the Baptist made his focus to point to Jesus and to connect others to Jesus. Secondly, once we have believed upon the Christocentric message we hear preached, we need to invite our family and friends to come and hear and believe the Christocentric message for themselves. As Andrew did in finding his brother Simon and in bringing him with him to meet Jesus. When we bring someone to church, we are bringing them to have an encounter with Jesus. After all, the church is the body of Christ. Let's pay full attention to Andrew's response this morning to John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, then following Jesus, and after being certain of having found Jesus to be the Messiah, he goes to find Simon, his brother, and brings Simon to meet Jesus for himself. Interestingly enough, Andrew, throughout the Gospel of John, is mentioned two more times, and both those times are times when he is bringing others to Jesus. The first time is he brings a boy with two fish and five loaves of bread to Jesus, right before Jesus stole the boy's lunch and blessed it to feed the 5,000. Andrew also introduces some Greek Jews to Jesus later in the Gospel of John as well. So we would be accurate in saying that Andrew is the patron saint of connecting others to Jesus. Whew. Now, I think that is a great reason to be considered a patron saint, a connector of people to Jesus. It's a really cool thing. Now, if you are looking for some pointers from Andrew in our passage about how he succeeds in bringing his brother to Jesus, that I would say, first off, notice that his testimony about Jesus is enthusiastic and confident in tone. Andrew tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. He doesn't say something like, well, I think we might have found the Messiah. Um, you know, John's thinking that 
we might have found the Messiah, so why don't you come and tell us what you think? No, there's definitely confidence in what Andrew is saying. We have found the Messiah. Andrew is convinced, after having spent an afternoon with Jesus, that he has found the one who will save him from his sin and reconcile him to God. And he is not only convinced that Jesus will do that for him, but also for his brother and anyone else who wants to meet Jesus. Folks, when we talk about Jesus, are we convinced that we have found what we want? Jesus, when feeling he was being followed by Andrew and John, actually turns around and confronts them with this question. What do you want? On a superficial level, Jesus was just wanting to find out from them why they were following him. However, we should never assume that there isn't depth behind the questions that Jesus asks as well. Jesus confronts all of us who inquire about who he is with this question. What do you want? While all Andrew says is that they are wondering where he is staying, we know from Andrew's reaction of going to find Simon that he found everything he really deep down wanted. And when we talk about why we are a Christian, why we go to church, why we serve in our church or give money to the church, do we answer with enthusiasm and confidence that says, because in becoming a Christian, I found everything I could ever want. If we do answer with such confidence and enthusiasm, then people will come with us to church when we invite them. The second pointer that Andrew gives us is he doesn't send Simon to Jesus by his own self. <laughs> he personally brings Simon to Jesus. He makes the actual introduction. I know that so many of us, when we extend an invitation to church to a friend, we often say, meet us at the church. We leave it to those we have invited to have to come in the front door all by themselves. That can be a very intimidating thing. What's going to happen when you open that door? How much better if that visitor gets to walk through the front door with the person that invited them? So much better it is if they start out their experience of meeting Jesus, the body of Christ here at First Presbyterian Church, through the hospitality of the one who invited them, making introductions, such as, uh, I want to introduce you to my friend I've just invited, in the hopes that this person you brought will now become a friend with the person you're introducing them to. According to a historian, E. Gibbon, the author of Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which I have not read because it's six volumes long, 
It might take me all my life to finish that, but I found a resource that had this great quote in it from E. Gibbon, who I don't even know if he's a Christian. It became the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse among his friends and relatives the inestimable, inestimable blessings he had received. I would add to E. Gibbon's statement that it should never cease to be the most sacred duty of disciples to communicate to their friends and family the inestimable blessings we have received through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We get the sense that that was the case for Andrew. He loved to offer people the opportunity to get to know the inestimable blessings of Christ for themselves. Here at First Presbyterian Church, I am praying for us to carry on that example of Andrew, the patron saint of those who connect others to Christ. It's a practice that the earliest beginnings of the church carried out, and I don't believe it was ever meant to stop. Now, in our day, a lot of churches have decided that the way that they're going to get people to come is through putting a lot of money into marketing and advertising. Maybe so much so that it almost rivals some smaller, mid-sized businesses in our community. And what seems to happen simultaneously when a church decides to do this is that the congregation sort of decides, hey, because we're putting money into this marketing and advertising and promotion program, now we don't have the burden on our shoulders to have to invite people. The church is going to do that for us through this marketing campaign. Now, let me tell you this, that while I was in the public relations field, which was for a br very brief 18 months, um, I did learn this that just was astonishing to me, that when you run an ad campaign, if you get a 2 to 3% response, that's knocking it out of the park. Can you believe that? 97% failure is success. Now, looking back, I should have stayed in that industry. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for a place where you really don't have to succeed to be successful, go into public relations work, okay? But I also have learned a stat in my over 20-some years of being a pastor, and that is that we will succeed 33% of the time when we invite somebody to come to church. So if next week you go out and you invite three different people, one of them is very likely to say, yes, I'll show up on Sunday. Now, think about this. We send out a postcard mailer this fall to 100 people. Well, we would be fortunate to get two people to respond to it. But if all of us committed to, hey, for the next 52 weeks of the year, we're looking for three people to invite. All of us would probably get about 50 visitors coming with us to church 
in the course of the year. Now, that, and that's at no financial cost to the church. The mailer might cost, to send to 100 people, might cost us $500. And if you multiply that times, you know, sending it out to 5,000 people, ouch. But person to person, every three people we invite are going to say yes. Wow. What could happen? Well, doing things like Andrew is less expensive and clearly more effective. I hope and pray we are a church family who knows what it is to follow our patron saint of connecting others to Jesus Christ. Let's all become more like St. Andrew. Please join me in prayer. God, we come to you today praying that you would put people on our hearts, whether they be neighbors, co-workers, family members, friends that we play golf with or play tennis with or play um, pinochle with. Lord, uh, put people on our hearts to invite and bless our endeavors of an invitation. And may we see you bringing in 33% of those people who we invite. And when they come, Lord, may they experience the love and the care and the hospitality of Christ through this particular body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.